I never dreamed how much I would actually enjoy podcasting. When it was first suggested to me, I'll be honest, I was a bit intimidated by the thought. But when I found Anchor, I quickly realized how easy this was going to be. Anchor provides me with the tools to record and edit right within their program. I don't need additional software. I didn't even need to know how to distribute the podcast because they do it all for me. I would not be where I am today as a podcaster without Anchor. It's all you need and completely free. If you are looking to get started, download the Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. Can you get PTSD from a relationship with a covert narcissist? 100% yes. In this episode, we are going to talk about PTSD and CPTSD in relation to narcissistic abuse. I'm Renee Swanson, your host on the Covert Narcissism Podcast. Thank you so much for being such a loyal audience. I hate that you are here and in need of this, but I am so glad that you are seeking help and support. Don't forget to find this community on Patreon. This is a space where I release two to three writings per week for gaining awareness, clarity, and healing when dealing with covert narcissistic abuse. For the cost of one latte, you get a whole month of resources. Very worth it. And that money goes directly towards supporting this podcast. To find us on Patreon, visit us at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash covert narcissism. I also ask for any that are able to support our cause, please do. Your donations are so greatly appreciated. They allow us to continue our work of reaching this world. If you are able, please donate to our podcast through Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, and also hit that favorite button, that like button, that subscribe button. Our audience is certainly on the rise. Now let's dive into PTSD. First off, what is it? PTSD stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. And we're going to talk about what the difference is too between that and CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, PTSD is a trauma response that is triggered by a single terrifying event. It could be a natural disaster, you know, an, an earthquake, a fire. It can be a home intrusion. Um, it can be a car accident, a serious injury. It could be an assault, um, a rape. Any of these things are, are a single terrifying event, and they create a trauma response inside this person. A person with PTSD from one of these types of events, they did not show trauma responses prior to the event. And these trauma reactions, they can be traced back to a specific event. CPTSD is... A person who's developed trauma responses from ongoing or chronic trauma, they might have a harder time pinpointing an exact event. They can't trace it back to a single moment because it's a prolonged and ongoing and continuous traumatic events, time after time being made to feel bad or being abused. And these are, you know, ongoing abuse, childhood abuse, domestic violence, kidnapping or enslavement. Now that would trace it back to a single event of when it started, but then, you know, it's ongoing. A prisoner of war would also fall under that. 
The symptoms are mostly the same for PTSD and complex PTSD. The difference is the length of time that you were exposed to these traumatic events. You know, is it a single event or is it an ongoing? And this could potentially really affect the severity of the symptoms and the difficulty of, of recovering from PTSD. So symptoms of PTSD, they fall into four categories. The first one is intrusion. Intrusive and unwanted thoughts is what I mean by intrusion. Uh, repeated and involuntary memories, disturbing thoughts about these events, and they seem, you know, uncontrollable. <clears throat> these are distressing memories. You know, the, the, the victim of PTSD, they might just be staring off into space, lost in a traumatic memory, kind of disassociated with reality. It can be distressing dreams and nightmares, recurring dreams. I had one that just continued seemingly forever, and it was so real. Each time I woke up in a panic, this was after the divorce uh, for about the first maybe two years. I'm, I'm now over three years out, and it's been a while since this dream has popped up. In my dream, for whatever insane reason, I had allowed him, my covert narcissistic ex, to move back into my home. He was now in the house, living here. In my dream, I was so panicked. And then thinking to myself, how could I be so stupid? Why is he here? How do I get him out now? And what happened that he's back? Drawing a complete blank on why he was here, but clearly he was here. My kids thought I had lost my mind letting him come back. And all of my insides were screaming, no. Each time I woke up with my heart pounding, I was sweating, I was breathing fast and nervously and anxiously looking around the bedroom. Each time it took a little while to calm myself down and accept that this was only a dream. I hated that dream. Another uh, form of intrusion, intrusion is flashbacks. You can have flashbacks of these traumatic events. They're so incredibly vivid that people feel they are reliving these traumatic experiences and seeing it right before their eyes. I have lived some of these flashbacks with my oldest son. And honestly, it, it really scared me. Have you ever looked into your child's eyes and they didn't look back at you? He wasn't seeing me. He wasn't there. There were several of these and, and they were horrible. One time, uh, this was about a year, more than a year after the divorce, and my son was 19, and he decided to mop the kitchen floor for me, and I was really grateful. He had mopped the floor often in his teenage years, so I didn't think anything of it. But this single event triggered a flashback in him. He was now searching the house looking for his dad. And I walked out of my office, and I was like, hey, what, what are you doing? And he's, where's dad? Where's dad? I need to talk to dad. He was convinced that dad was in the house and he kept saying, I need to talk to him. I need to show him the floor. I need to show him that I did it. Where's dad? His car is here. Where is he? And I thought, what do you mean his car is here? Well, my son was now driving his dad's car. That was a transition we had made. So yeah, he thought his car was here. And that flashback actually lasted for quite a while. It, it took a while to convince him. And, and when he snapped out of it, then all of a sudden he is seeing me and he is looking straight at me. Another flashback was actually an incredibly painful one to me. My son was sitting on the couch with his current girlfriend, and I didn't realize he was having a flashback, but I remember the look on her face when I walked past the room. And so I turned to her and I asked if everything was okay, and she said no. 
I went over to my son. He was sitting on the couch, rocking back and forth. That same emptiness was in his stare. I looked straight in his eyes, but he didn't look back at me. His eyes were empty. And he kept saying, no, dad, no, dad, don't hurt her. Please, dad, please don't hurt her. I kept talking to him, calling him by name. You know, hey, son, I'm here. Hey, you're safe. You're here. You're, you're in the living room. You're with me. Listen to me. And he wasn't hearing me. He just kept saying, no, dad, don't hurt her. And then all of a sudden he snapped out of it. And he looked straight at me, confusion in his face. He goes, Mom? And then he looked at his girlfriend and called her by name. He had no idea where he was or how he got to here. He was just curled up in a ball. And I said, yes, son, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. He knew he had had a flashback because the feeling of coming out of it was familiar to him. And he asked, what happened? So I told him. Ever so gently, I said to my son, you were begging dad not to hurt her. Who was that her? Was that me? And he looked me straight in the face and said, yes, mom, it was you. And I said, listen to me, son, your dad never laid a hand on me. He never, ever hit me. And his words broke my heart when he said, mom, I wasn't talking about physically. Dad hurt you over and over. He hurt your heart again and again. And I sat there and cried. And, and he said to me, Mom, I was the cause of so much of that pain. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And trying to convince him that, no, no, this was not on you. This was not your fault. It's been one of the hardest tasks I've ever been through in life. Flashbacks are painful. And I know that. I've been through this. Fortunately, today, that, that seems to be also something else that is now in our past. And there is healing that happens after narcissistic abuse. Number two, the symptoms of PTSD is avoidance. Avoiding reminders of the traumatic event. This may include avoiding people, places, activities, objects, situations that trigger these distressing memories. You know, you might avoid talking about these people resist talking about what happened or how they feel and and they're just resistant to it i experienced that um you know avoiding triggers to, to to this when i met someone who was this was two years after my divorce and it was the first time i considered a romantic interest and we were at a retreat together and and the way that he talked the one time one time reminded me of my ex-husband and it wasn't even a bad trait about my ex. It was just the type of humor he used. And in reality, it just was not a problem. But I recoiled big time. I pulled back. I, I mean, avoidance kicked in big time. There are many people that he could remind me of, but my ex-husband was simply not one of them. And I didn't think I could look past that. Another way that avoidance comes out is trying to distract ourselves from the memory. Staying busy to keep it out of our mind. Avoiding other relationships, difficulty in trusting other people, isolating ourselves, even sabotaging new relationships. The third category that the symptoms of PTSD fall into is alterations in cognition and mood. 
this has to do more with, you know, your memories and your, and your feelings. It's the inability to remember important aspects, you know, like a selective memory. And we just kind of forget pieces of what all happened. It's the negative thoughts and feelings that lead to the continued, and I mean continued and distorted beliefs about oneself. Those beliefs are that I'm not good enough. I will never be good enough. That, And even that everyone is bad. The world is bad and it's a hopelessness. It's overwhelming guilt and shame. Believing that bad things happen because you actually deserve them. These are all signs of PTSD. You know, my son thought that this was all his fault. He hung on to that for a long time. This was all on him. That is an absolute symptom of PTSD. And, and this, it's a distorted thought about the cause of the event. And that's what leads you to wrongly blame yourself, taking all that responsibility on yourself. I did the same thing. I blame myself. How could I expect any differently from him? Another part of this alterations in, in cognition and mood is the lack of interest in activities and people that you previously enjoyed. Activities that used to bring you happiness. Now you're avoiding friendships or finding difficulty in maintaining them. You're feeling detached from them. Unable to experience positive emotions. You know, things that used to make you happy just don't anymore. You're carrying feelings of sadness, fear, anger, even numbness. And a lot of difficulty. In controlling one's emotions. The fourth kind of category of PTSD symptoms is alterations in arousal and reactivity. So this is being irritable and having these angry outbursts, something that just isn't characteristic of who you are. You're reactive and you're edgy and you can have strong physical reactions to something that reminds you of the traumatic events. You know, I went through this when I was going to the grocery store. This was after the divorce and I was at the grocery store and I'm just at the grocery store. Like this was nothing. This was a no big deal, but I could feel my heart just pounding. Like it was going to jump right out of my chest. My stomach was in knots. My breathing was fast and I had to hurry. I had this, this powerful urge to hurry through the grocery store so that I could get home. And then one day I realized why, why this was happening every time I went to the grocery store. You see, during my marriage, when I was at the grocery store, he was home alone with our boys. And over and over, I came home to intense emotions, anger, hurt feelings, and extreme upset. I did not feel safe leaving our boys at home with him. And a simple trip to the grocery store took me back to those times. Another way this all plays out is behaving recklessly or in a self-destructive way. And it can be self-harm, absolutely, but it can also be not taking care of yourself. An attitude of, yeah, I really don't care what happens to me. Not eating well, not sleeping well, not you know using proper hygiene, just a general lack of care. It can also be a sense of threat. These symptoms are, can show out as a sense of threat, feeling like you must always be on guard, hypervigilant and over aware of your surroundings, just extremely watchful, looking for danger, jumpy, you know, maybe easily startled by a loud noise or an unexpected touch, just never feeling safe and unable to relax. Having problems concentrating and sleeping definitely plays right in with this. And the last one I'm going to mention is even being obsessed with revenge, wanting to settle the score. 
Most people who go through traumatic events may have temporary difficulty adjusting and coping. This is a phase going through all of these symptoms of PTSD, especially when they're so extreme. I'm not saying you won't have some 10 and 20 years from now, but the intensity of them with time and good self-care absolutely gets better. The majority of people that are exposed to trauma do not develop long-term post-traumatic stress disorder. It is important, so vitally important, to get help, to get support, to prevent our normal stress reactions, okay? Understand this, the reactions you have to stress are normal, but we need to prevent them from developing into PTSD. And a vital piece of a vital piece of this is that deep human need to feel safe. You need to feel emotionally safe. This means that you you have somebody you can talk to. You know, this may be turning to friends and family who will listen and offer comfort. Now, with covert narcissistic abuse, it is specifically important that you be able to talk to someone, even one person, who gets it. It may mean that you seek out a mental health professional for a brief course of therapy. That may be all it takes, such as EMDR, cognitive behavioral therapy. You might turn to group work. You know, I have group coaching sessions that are proving to be incredibly powerful. Support from others may also help prevent you from turning to unhealthy coping mechanisms, coping methods. The misuse of alcohol and drugs that's common in victims of all of this. Isolation, you know, it's isolating yourself from the world. Self-harm behaviors, the self-neglect that I already talked about. All of this can be, you know, unhealthy coping methods. But if you get the help and support that you need, you can turn this around. Just talking about things has such a profound impact. I encouraged my boys years ago, and it's the same encouragement I give you today. I told my boys back in their teenage years, you know, they're teenagers. They were resistant to talking to mom. And I said, okay, fine. You don't have to talk to me, but I want you to find one person. Have someone. It can be one of your buddies. I don't care. Someone with whom you can be open and honest. You can be yourself around them, including the ugly sides of what you're going through, the ugly sides of what you're feeling. And that you can be free to tell them what is happening in your world. And I told my boys, look, it doesn't have to be me. I'm your mom. I get that. But tell me you have one person, someone with whom you can be honest and open. And they both assured me that they did. And I was so relieved. How about you? Do you have someone? You need an ally, a safe person, someone you can tell all this to. If you're feeling embarrassed or, or even, you know, some people say, I'm just stupid that I put up with all of this. Stop. Stop right now. I have worked with professors, college professors, doctors, therapists, people with PhDs that have found themselves exactly where you are. This has nothing to do with intelligence. You got trapped in this relationship because you are a kind, good-hearted, and compassionate person. You ended up stuck in it for as long as you did because you're a fighter. And you're willing and determined to fight for this relationship. These are not bad characteristics. These are not bad traits. This person took your bad traits and used them against you. 
this, you know, your your willingness to fight for this and your willingness to give the benefit of the doubt, your willingness to stick it out, to keep your family together. This says everything about who you are. It says nothing about who they are. So please do not hesitate to reach out for help. If I can be of help to you in any way, please reach out to me. My email address is Renee, R-E-N-E-E, at covertnarcissism.com. If you are not comfortable with the word narcissism showing up in that email, then you also can email me at lifevoyagerpress.com. I'm sorry, <laughs> lifevoyagerpress at gmail.com. That is another email address I use to keep the word narcissism out for the people who need that. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing.